0: Hello, I'm Lynn Weeks and today we'll be talking about patient-centered care for people using opioids for their chronic pain and the importance of language. I'm joined by Denise Lassam, Kooi Rupp GP, Fergal Armstrong and Coburg Community Pharmacist, Jared McMoore. Jared is also President of Chronic Pain Australia. (music) Denise, I think you prefer to be called Rusty. I do. Let's start with you because you have a long personal experience of chronic pain. I think your first back, back surgery, was it? It was in your teens. So tell us your
1: story. Mm, my back surgery was actually my twi- early 20s, but pain started for me in my teens. Um, lower back pain, I was about 15 or 16. and I went to the doctor and was sent to physiotherapy and those kind of awesome things and had traction and mm, those were the days. Um, but I was given also opioids, a panadine fort for pain and Valium for muscle spasms.
0: And that was in your teens?
1: That was in my dear 16.
0: And what happened after that?
1: Not very good thing. (laughs) Well, it's a very long story, but as life went on, um, I became dependent and addicted to those drugs. I've had three lots of surgery over the years, all the while being very addicted to them and... Um, ruining relationships because of my addiction and had a baby um, later when I was, you know, 39 and he was developed in, in a bubble full of opiates and benzos. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, every day when I had a shower, I'd put my hand on my belly and apologise to this growing baby because... Because I I meant it. I was sorry. But I knew... I did not know what to do. Yes. All I knew what to do is to keep taking. I had to keep taking. My brain would scream for them. Yes. And Mm. the pain? You mean now or then? Then. Then. When I was... Well, some things helped, I think. Um, But I... They tried lots and lots of things with me. But for me... It was a no-brainer. Something that took 20 minutes to half an hour and made me feel all right about the world as opposed to a month in the swimming pool to get similar results Um, was a no-brainer, especially I I think I'm the perfect storm for addiction.
0: Yeah, and when you had a young child then as well, that must have been even harder. Yes. How did you turn it around?
1: That is a really good question. What I can say about that is it wasn't just me. I had like a team of people around me, which is obviously what I needed, but um, a doctor I met in the Latrobe Valley in Victoria, he, I was used to travelling with all these letters and x-rays, as you do, and um, he didn't even read them, I don't think. He, He told me what he was going to do, as opposed to me going there and saying, this is my story. I need this, this and this. He was not interested. Mm-hmm. He said, you, uh, you can be my patient and this is what I'm going to do. And um, that was like was very strange. But it was a load off my shoulders as well. Yes. Then I was introduced to um, a pilot project at St Vincent's to assist people to get, to get off benzos. And I was um, a guinea pig for that project and uh, that was in 2009. I haven't had a Benzo since. That's amazing.
0: Along that journey, did you experience much in the way of stigma, do you think? Mm -hmm. And maybe
1: did you feel that yourself? Oh gosh, no. Yes, of course. (laughs) And still to this day, actually, I think stigma is one of the biggest things that um, had me not asking for help the stigma in the community plus what was going on in my own head. Yes. To to admit to being addicted is... I could think of other things I'd rather admit to, actually.
0: So, in fact, that doctor that Hmm. didn't actually address that with you in a way, he just went on and said, we're going to manage this, it's not something we need to discuss in terms of stigma, helped you get past that?
1: Absolutely, he did. Mm. He did. He knew what to do, he knew how to treat me, he knew how to treat pain as well as addiction, he knew how not to fall under my spell because over the years, of course, I developed some pretty awesome skills at manipulating and I can say all this in hindsight, of course, not at that time, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's, that's interesting. Because mm. that inter- I think that issue of stigma is is something that's very hard to grasp if you haven't haven't really experienced mm. it. It's not something that and we we know it exists, but you don't know the full weight of it on your personality, on your personal mm-hmm. relationships, on your employment, and those things unless you've really experienced it. Jared, can I come to you because I think it's often the pharmacist who might be the first person or the first health professional to see a person having. Problems with their prescription medicines, it, as the person comes to you to have their prescription dispensed. How can your approach make you know, how do you, in your approach, make sure you help not hinder that patient?
2: Uh, I would agree that yeah, a pharmacist may be the first person who is seeing uh, a person receiving medic- medications in a way that might not be safe. Um, how that conversation is had is, is really critical. Um, I've seen a number of times where a pharmacist will have a fairly blunt conversation with somebody and you won't see that person again and that person's not being helped. Um, The conversations need to centre around the benefit of the person who's in front of you. A lot of the time a pharmacist may take on an opinion that, well, I'm here to protect the medicines from being misused as opposed to I'm here to help a person with the best outcomes for their medicines. And if, if a pharmacist can keep that frame of mind, then that goes a long way to talking to a person as a person not a, a subject or a, a problem uh, those kind of attitudes really appear in your language and your your body language and how you actually help a person or hinder them
0: mm, and I think a lot of our our pharmacy training is about thinking about the medicine as the first thing and so it does take a little uh, a bit of an effort to get over that
2: yeah I mean, it's a fairly um natural response when you 've gone through four years and uh, an internship thinking about medicines um, is sometimes you lose sight of the people that you 're there to help so if you if you can always reframe your point of view to be about assisting people it, it goes a long way to getting the right right frame of mind so that you don 't slip into language thats um, that 's not helpful
0: mm. so a GP you also have internalized views about um uh, using uh, opiate medications, for example, and other things, your own uh, your own uh, experience, your training, your worldview adds to that. How do you manage that yourself? Uh, is something you're aware of? How do you How do you think about it?
3: Well, first of all, doctors are in a very privileged position because they sit in a consulting chair. They sit in a consulting chair because they've. They've got resilience and that, that resilience has been given to them by their stable upbringing, their parenting, their parenthood, their childhood, sorry. They've had educational opportunities and then they've had employment opportunities. and then they're faced with someone with an addiction problem or a substance use disorder who hasn't had that benefit. So it, addiction and substance use disorder is not a moral choice. It's a chronic relapsing illness that needs to be treated in it like any other chronic relapsing illness. And so the, the stigma that Rusty's alluded to needs to be suppressed completely and utterly. It has no room in the consulting room. Mm. It just should not be there. And physicians need, and clinicians need to understand that they're in the consulting chair because of advantages that they had that their patients didn't have.
0: Mm, I think that's a a really interesting point, and it does really (coughs) help you frame the whole consultation if you you put yourself in that place. Mm. There's a a nice article from a US-based specialist, and she talks about how we frame both the consultation and our own thinking in how we manage patients. And she says, I'm going to quote this, how we frame our thoughts about chronic opioid therapy greatly influences our ability to practice patient-centered care. Even providers who strive to be non-judgmental may approach clinical decision-making about opioids by considering if the pain is real or they can trust the patient. Similarly, providers often find themselves making deals, positional bargaining approach. So reframing the issue can allow the provider to be in a more therapeutic role. Providers can use a benefit-to-harm framework, and this approach focuses decisions and discussions on the treatment, not on the patient. So I think that's a, a an interesting way to think about it. That we bring this back to benefits and harms, and we bring it back to conversation of safety. Fergal, does that resonate with you?
3: Oh, absolutely. the 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 whole issue of prescription opioid and benzodiazepine management has to now revolve around safety. And with the advent of SafeScript, the the discussions on safety are actually so much well more informed. So, for me, SaveScript is now a tool that shines a light on the safety issue around uh, prescribing for patients. Um, and I, I like the point that the author is making that uh, judgments about whether or not the patient's in pain and whether or not that patient's pain is real, that's a very telling sentence because to say that somebody's pain is not real, it's all in your head, well, quite frankly, all pain is, in, is experienced in one's head. and. I think in this context, in the context of use disorder, the boundary between uh, nociceptive pain, physical pain and psychological distress is very blurred and I think the skill in any consultation is to actually make that discussion or or broach that subject with the patient and then to, to be able to have a meaningful discussion onto the way forward with the information that is available to one from SafeScript.
0: What about for the pharmacist, Jared, because um, as you said, they need to be thinking about what's right for this patient, the person in front of them, so that's a big step forward. Then talking about harms and benefits, how would that work in a community pharmacy?
2: One of the first points would be that if you think you're speaking to a person and you don't believe what they're saying, then you should really consider what is it about this conversation going forward that is going to be productive. If you are trying to have this give and take with a person and you don't believe anything that they've got to say, then you're never going to end up anywhere productive. If you really feel that that's the issue, then then you need to raise it and say, listen, I'm concerned that this um, prescription is being used in this instance not for pain but for, um, you know, to help with a dependence or an addiction in this case and um, if you can't have that kind of discussion with a person um, then you should consider how how your training is has been put into your uh, into your practice. Um, Realistically I know a significant significant number of people who uh, use opioids for pain and a, a very large number of people who have Ongoing or previous substance use disorder. And if you think that you can judge a person from when they walk in or what their presentation is like and which one of those categories they fall into or both, then um, you're really, really very, very skilled or you're kidding yourself. So that I think that's one of the first things is that pharmacists need to understand that if you've got a person in front of you and you don't trust them, then you need to consider what it is about yourself that is putting yourself in that position.
0: Mm, yeah, I think, I think that's really helpful because that is really part of the reframing, isn't it? It's about you being self-aware as well as being open to the, the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. Part of the reframing also includes the use of the right language and that will help both the patient and the clinician um, to have a conversation that's productive. Language should be non-judgmental, non-stereotyping, but we know that both the patient and, and the and the Prescribe, but will hold beliefs and attitudes so we don't want those to act as a barrier and having the right language I think helps there. Interestingly Pain Australia has some new guidelines to help clinicians to find the right words to create a positive um, experience for their patient. There are some helpful suggestions about alternative phrases they might use um, but also a note to say to actually check in with the person because what's what I might find um, not to be the best words might be something that you, Rusty, might think was a perfectly reasonable way to express something. So did you have any experiences in your journey where people use words that really
1: rub you up the wrong way? That, that was nice language. I wouldn't have said it rubbed me up the wrong way. Yes, I certainly have, and that's part of the stigma, I think. Um, for me, using the word addict is annoying because I'm... Um, um, I'm a person with addiction, I am much more than an addict. An addict is like a full stop after you, you know, and then people have their own ideas about what addict is. So a person with addiction issues or dependence or, or it's a, a, a bigger mouthful but it's a mm. bit more respectful. Um, another word I don't like is clean. Oh, clean. Mm. Um, where people say, I've been clean for 10 days or 10 weeks or 10 months or 10 years uh, because when my son was little and his hands were dirty, we'd clean them. So, so the opposite of clean is dirty. dirty. So if you're someone with addiction that's, that's still engaged in, with your drug of toys, um, then you're dirty because you're not clean. Yes. That, so they're just those types of words that I find a bit challenging. Yes.
0: And how do they make you, um, how do they make you react? Do you feel
1: annoyed? Um, you, do you switch off? That's an interesting question. Uh, uh, it just makes me shy. Like this is never... Uh, I'm really huge on the language around addiction and that, that we need to change it. Um, we need to shine a torch on it and... Um, but when I hear words like that, it's just a sigh. It's like this is going to take generations, yes. I think, to to change and and for people to drop the moral, um, pros- what's that word anyway? The moral preaching. That yes. Do. Yeah, about it. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, so, Jared, just coming to you, so you were saying, you know, in a pharmacy you, you want to have that conversation. What sort of words would you use? It. How do you do it in a busy pharmacy? Because it's not the easy, easiest environment for a conversation that may need to be quite sensitive.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think so much about words that I would definitely use. I try and avoid specific things. So, um, as Russ, you are saying, you don't want to describe somebody as the condition that they might have. So if you're talking about somebody who has diabetes and you said they're a diabetic, you do make it seem like that's all they're about and you're only interested in, well, they're here with diabetes and I'll deal with that and, and they'll go away and things like that. So trying to ensure that the language that you use is not, um, is not taking away agency from the person who's in front of you. Um, and I think another really important thing to consider for health professionals is that when you are talking with a colleague, if you use words that are very clinical, um, those will slip out when you're having a conversation with a person. So if we talk about pain and there's a concept called catastrophization and if you use that terminology about a person, first of all, you're taking away the real experiences that they're having. But you can very easily slip that into a conversation without intending to. And suddenly you're, you're basically saying to this person, oh, your experience with pain is not as bad as you think it is. And you're making it out to be more than it really is. And that's the end of that conversation and that relationship. You'll probably never get that back if you if you're not careful about how you use terminology. So it's a matter of ensuring that you are always seeing the person in front of you as a person, treating them with respect. And then when you're talking about people as a concept Mm -hmm. that you try not to use overly clinical words in that situation as well because they'll get into your dialogue and they'll pop out when you don't want them to.
0: When you're trying to take a shortcut. Mm. And what about in that busy pharmacy? How do you make space to have that sensitive conversation?
2: Sure. So um, most pharmacies these days will have either a, um, a private consultation room certainly will have a a space that is a bit more isolated from the rest of the of the people who are waiting to be um, served or provided with advice it's important though to remember that uh, if you say to a person listen we're going to have a conversation we will go to this um, uh, consultation room the person might say why am i being singled out and taken into the room when nobody else is waiting here has been taken into a room so it's very much about saying to a person listen we've got some things we need to discuss it might take a little bit longer than normal if you'd like we've got a We've got a space over there where you can go to and we can sit down and talk rather than being, you know, here at the counter or further away in another area that's more quiet in the pharmacy. Um, So space and privacy and consideration. And then also remembering workflow. I mean, if, if you feel that you need to give more time to that conversation than your current workflow will allow for then in the short term call in other staff to assist you and in the long term look at how your workflow is going so that you can afford that kind of time where it's needed. Okay,
0: that sounds good. What about for you Fergal in a general practice how do you think about language?
3: Well I agree with what Jared has said I try and avoid words and there are certain words Rusty which I think you would agree are really terrible. So the, the word drug addict druggy <clears throat> these are the two words that i've tried to expunge from my vocabulary um and i prefer to use words such or phrases such as patients with or patients suffering from and i prefer to use substance use disorder or i try i'm trying to actually ruin myself off the word addiction but I, I, my, my most favorite phrase is substance use disorder it, it is less stigmatizing and i think so long as uh, jared uh, I, I agree with what jared had said you know we we have to deal with people. We don't deal with diagnoses.
0: Yes. So it's a whole person. Yeah. It's mm. good. So I guess on that theme, how do you bring? How do you have a? De- how do you make a decision with the person about what their treatment options might be? Whether that's to start an opiate for chronic pain or to move on to managing a problem that might have come from taking prescription medicines over time. Um, I mean, Rusty, you started by talking about the fact that not allowing you to make, be too involved in the decision mm. at the beginning was actually important because you were going to manipulate that decision. That's what you said, said I think. Um, so how do you manage that but at the same time respect the person and actually make sure they have the right amount of say in the decision? So maybe you first, Rusty, can tell us what you're think, thinking about that. Um,
1: for me, I think don't, don't be um, pussyfoot rounders, like black and white. Not too much information, especially if the brain's craving and use, you know, simple sort of language. It was really important to me that I found a doctor that said no and it was taken out of my hands because it was always... I had taken the reins. I was the boss. I would go somewhere and say, this is what I'll have and and I would do everything in my power to make sure I got it. So you weren't sharing your decision-making with the doctor? Oh, no. No. And I was in a, it's a regional town. The choices were, well, choices were him or him. Yep. Um, so they were limited. But thank goodness out there in the Latrobe Valley, I found someone who knew what he was doing. doesn't mean he's not compassionate. It means he cares beyond how his feelings. And most people dance around, their doctors too, pharmacists dance around their feelings with this. And get involved in all that sort of stuff. It's really important, I think, not to, because it's you buy into the sort of stuff that we like to talk about. Then it's um, a conversation that's bound to end in tears or medication. <laughs> yes. So you actually you do need to have that hard conversation yep. in a not very honest way. Yes. In a very very honest yes.
0: way. How do you go about it, Fergal?
3: Well. I firstly discuss the risks as I see them. So a patient who is requesting drugs, potential drugs of dependency needs to understand the risks of that uh, request, both in terms of the risks of the drugs themselves but also in terms of the risks of their potential comorbidities like heart disease or lung disease. And then there has to be a discussion about their risks of, uh, of uh, dependency itself. So I will bring up the risk of dependency in in my consultations. Having then identified the risks, then I would then agree a management plan, which is all about harm and minimization. And again, that is informed by SafeScript, thankfully, these days. But harm minimization does not mean abandoning the patient. Mm. Harm minimization means developing a treatment plan with boundaries that reduces that patient's risk over time and the third thing is that the, the, the harm minimization plan has to be tailored to the patient because there's no one, one size fits all. Finally, the, these discussions are an opportunity of, to engage in a certain amount of self-reflection whereby you know, what you have to ask yourself, you know, why are we making the statements that we're making? Why are we making the decisions that we're making? Are we being judgy? Am I being judgy? And Rusty, you said something that triggered in my mind. I wanted to say something about the right or fight response. You know, do, do we take the time to fight the patient? And by that, I mean, do we take the time to discuss the patient's views, do the risk assessment, set up the plan, or do we simply want to escape and write the prescription? Yes. So, so
0: again, it's about that hard conversation yeah. and being, I guess, courageous enough to have mm, the hard conversation yeah. because it won't be comfortable for mm. either party but it's a really important conversation and maybe one that SafeScript can help us have and uh, stimulate us to have.
3: Mm, Definitely.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. Patients with chronic pain, like all our patients, deserve quality care, delivered with respect and compassion. Sometimes our own subconscious attitudes or those of the patient themselves can act as a barrier to good communication. Today, we have recommended framing the consultation in terms of benefits and harms as a useful technique to support good care for your patients. This also means using non-stigmatising language and taking advantage of the various supports available to both patients and their health professional. More information and resources to support your management of patients with chronic pain can be found in the SafeScript online training modules and your local PHN's SafeScript health pathways. The SafeScript GP Clinical Advisory Service provides peer-to-peer advice to GPs managing patients with complex pain, addiction or mental health needs and they can be contacted on one 812 804 For more information, go to our website www.health.vic.gov.au forward slash SafeScript. Thank you for listening today and thank you to our guests, Rusty Lasam. Fergal Armstrong and Jared McMoore. This is the last podcast in this series. If you have missed any of the others, you can find them at the SafeScript website. Language is important and so is framing. As health professionals, we can make a big difference to the experience and clinical outcomes of our patients when we incorporate a benefit risk approach to our management of chronic pain. Have a good day.